0: so welcome to the latest episode of em insider with me chris slowly and as always Raphael Cassin how are you doing rafael
1: great chris happy to be here still alive and kicking how about you
0: i'm good i was gonna use what i think is uh an old political quote from harold wilson of a week is a long time in politics and it seems like a day is a long time in coronavirus markets last time we spoke was probably about two weeks ago a lot has happened since then where should we start what should what in an emerging market view, do you think is the most important thing to kick off with?
1: Well, um, Chris, I think since the, I think last time we spoke was in mid March, um, or or so, uh, we in terms of performance in in terms of dollar bonds, we're up roughly four percent, but we're still down quite a lot in the year, uh, about fourteen percent of the year. Um, we in terms of local currency are roughly the same uh corporates have done slightly better right uh since the last time we spoke they've they've been up about 2% only so they're down roughly f- uh 10 on a on a one year basis um i would say that uh that nothing very significant has happened bond wise yeah. uh on a on a global em scale uh, i think the picture still is very much What's happening with uh, with the virus? Uh, how people are reacting to it, and the expectations for when countries will potentially be able to open up again. Uh, the 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 one week is an interesting point. You know, one or two weeks, um, we clearly have a difference in in the way people a segmentation between developed markets and emerging markets, at least from Uh, a top-down view the developed countries are able to to print money and and somehow inflate or try to inflate themselves out of the crisis or or of the of the this hiatus that they're having in terms of economic activity while the emerging countries are suffering economic pain because they are stopping they're not selling so there's a there's a problem in their pnl um so that will eventually need to be addressed. Uh, one of the themes that I that I hear most often, though it's mostly ignored by the institutional guys, is that at some point uh, it's all going to float up, right? Okay. And and what that means is that the IMF is going to say we're going to have to to give write downs on on debt, uh, not only to sovereigns but also to corporates. Uh, you know, it all filters down. Or up. And uh, and so I think at some point, people are going to have to, the, you know, the, the music is going to have to stop. Uh, and when it stops, we're going to look at to, to see who has done better. And I think this is so, as I said, you know, from the top down, it looks like the emerging world is roughly a little bit better. Uh, but if you look specifically, a few countries are actually uh, having a lot more activity, if we can say, more music. Yeah. Can we
0: get into which countries they are then, Rafael? Because I know we talked beforehand, Brazil has had its own problems beyond what's happening. Are they particularly hard hit or is it that am I fusing a political problem and an economic
1: problem? No, I think you're you're totally right. We've had had an interesting situation in Brazil. Brazil has always, by the way, been the darling of the investment world because banks – Go out and and get mandates to to run you know to 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 do emerging uh, to do Brazilian bonds sovereign bonds. So of course they they like to shed a nice light into it. Even the rating agencies, in my opinion, have always been too favorable, and that's because they've got Brazilians looking at Brazil. So it's it's all it always goes goes wrong. Um, there's too much patriotism. But my opinion and continues to be. Remember, I told you that I only invested in Brazil once when yeah. Lula was elected. Uh, my view is that things have gone worse. I mean, if you take an ESG perspective, it's, it's even, it's, it's exponentially worse. Um, and the problem is in Brazil that there is a, a political system that has absolutely no chance of winning the race. And the reason is uh, there's a Senate and a Congress with a plethora of, of multitude of, of part parties. And each one wants his own thing. Uh, and even in moments like this, when people should be focusing on the crisis, uh, people, are, uh, these senators and congressmen are more interested in their future, right? So that, that doesn't help. Uh, you need to be a little bit uh, patriotic. So, what's happened in Brazil is that Bolsonaro, in the last few months and, well, two years, he, he has been mimicking Trump. Uh, and one of the ways he's done that is he he basically wants to open the economy, and and that is quite acceptable uh, because he doesn't want to have a problem on the other end, which is the economic side. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's the old uh, trade-off between deaths and economic recovery. Uh, the problem is that one his justice minister is Sergio Moro, or was. Who was the guy who is who basically spearheaded uh, the the car wash investigation and was was is, well he's well known for having put Lula in jail, justifiably. Um, and Moro had been for 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 some time uh, trying to avoid Bolsonaro's interference in the federal police. Um, however, Bolsonaro's family is very well known for coming out and making stupid comments. Uh, Especially his
0: son, isn't it? His son is particularly bad. at uh, He was the one who insulted the Chinese, and he's now done something else. Is that right? He's also further alienated people or further caused uh, problems, or is it a different son? It,
1: that, that's it. He's got a couple of sons, and they're both not, not very clean. Um, and, and the problem is everybody knows of their involvement. They have militias, they call it in, in Brazil, which are ex policemen who get involved in criminal mafia type organizations. Now, there are investigations. I mean I cannot uh, swear to you these guys have anything have something to do with anything, right? Uh, it would be foolish for me to, to want to, to have that, that vision. Uh, but, but the reality is that bolsonaro, uh, well, the, is that these sons of his have been investigated by the federal police. And in Brazil, at least according you know, to the Brazilian constitution, uh, the government, the president can appoint the head of the police, but he cannot get involved in, in investigations. You know, it's separation of powers, whatever you want to call it, right? And yep. and because his sons are were being investigated... Uh, Bolsonaro decided he wanted to appoint a friendly head of police. And unfortunately, Moro, the Lava Jato guy, the car car wash guy, uh, didn't like that very much. And I think they they came to a head at one point and Moro came out late last week on Friday and and announced he was resigning. And he also showed proof that Bolsonaro had been trying to get involved in, in these elections this was um, through
0: tape recordings wasn't it this is very similar to what's happened before in the country where somebody has had tape recordings on somebody very high profile and uh, WhatsApp
1: yeah, yeah of and, course and WhatsApp messages so i mean this the stuff is very obvious everybody knows that and and to make it to make things worse bolsonaro came out uh, right afterwards on his tweet uh, again you know he tries to follow trump somehow uh, you know in, in some ways i think he does worse than trump uh, and he he said, uh, well, yeah, okay, I did it. So what? And I think this is the problem because if you go back to the days of Juma uh, when she was president and they wanted to get rid of her, um, she, you know, obviously the reasons they went after her were that she, well, one of them was that she was involved in fiscal uh, lack of fiscal discipline. Uh, but there is a, a a group within the government that can independently appoint investigations right uh and they have as soon as moro resigned they decided to investigate uh both moro and bolsonaro Moro for his his comments so they want to in a in a in a cute way they want to to prove that what he said was either right or wrong but this obviously the side effect is they're going to have to investigate bolsonaro also right and, and this is where it will start to get interesting. And this is where it starts to mirror the, the previous impeachment we've had in Brazil. Um, so they're going to start investigating. If they find that Bolsonaro did something wrong or did try to get involved and they decide to push him to be impeached, uh, it might be that they do impeach him. And if he does get impeached, the next, uh, or the the guy who takes the position is the VP. And who is that I currently?
0: Who would that stand? And also, what would the implications be? Because if you've got two impeachments in such short space, surely that erodes all any credibility in the system and all any hope in the market.
1: Yes, I I would say that that's that's true, but. What a lot of my friends and and other commentators, but really my friends, because my friends are a little bit more to the right, uh, are saying is they are very happy with that because Bolsonaro has failed to do what most people wanted to do. I mean, remember the main reason to get Bolsonaro elected was to avoid a left-wing government in Brazil, which would would have just continued what Lula did, which is corruption and and robbery and all of that. So. They got Bolsonaro in and people were happy, but then he, he didn't go a step further. Remember, I don't know if you remember, but there was a, a guy called Arminio Fraga who was the the central bank president. And Arminio was very well-liked, not just by, by people in, in financial markets, but also by people in the real world, because the first thing he did when he came up uh, to be central bank president, he, he went to do a speech and he rolled up his sleeves. Um, he he understood what he needed to do in order to keep financial marks flow markets flowing. Now we now in Brazil have this guy called Paulo Guedes. I, I think he went to Chicago but probably I, I don't know if he deserves his diploma or if he's too uh you know if it proves that that he's too theoretical because since he's been running the economy. He has done absolutely nothing. Um, so now here we are. We, we have a president who is coming up with lots of scandals, creating problems for himself, trying to defend his family, which is clearly illegal, and a finance minister who is doing nothing, right? Uh, so what's going to happen? Uh, the economy is just going to go go to hell. And, uh, yep. and with the virus, it, it can only get worse. So... I mean, this is a nice Brazilian soap opera. So what what's likely to happen? Well, the best outcome would be for an impeachment to happen. And then we would get Mourão, who is the v- VP, who happens to be a military man.
0: Yeah, now, I see.
1: The great thing about Mourão is, you know, he's like most military men. He's very centered. He's very focused. And, you know, he may have funny views like lots of people do. Uh, but I think he would he would bring peace. To Brazilian politics. In fact, the military may have a stronger positioning, uh, but that would be good for Brazil. You know, it, you may even want, want to make a comparison to, for example, Russia, where there are, I don't know, nine or 11 time zones. And because of that, you need a strong central government. Well, Brazil is huge. You also need that. So if we get Maurão, and God knows how long this impeachment uh, can take to, to happen. Uh, usually, investigations last about six months. So I would say the best of all worlds would be for Bolsonaro to be impeached, for his kids to be investigated, and for all the dirt to go out and, and basically for the country to focus on good stuff. But that's not happening yet. Uh, what's happening instead is that Bolsonaro has gone back to, to the let's say, the Congress and the Senate, right? And he has been seducing what they call the the big center right uh which is which are these parties it's a coalition of parties that usually are very center uh uh, position and he wants them to support him now if he manages to do that he might avoid being impeached and in my opinion that would be a disaster why do i say that because the economy is going to suffer uh, I don't know if you've seen the the recent numbers, but coronavirus virus in Brazil is really beginning to flourish, and if that's the right word, and yeah. people people are dying, they have no instra- infrastructure to deal with that. Yeah. Um, so so we're gonna have an economic problem. We have a president who is gonna be trying to stay in power and focus on and focusing on saving his kids rather than than doing what he needs to do. We have a finance minister who. Hasn't been able to pull uh, the you know the the cat out of the hat yet, so I, I would say that status quo is the worst situation, and we will see in the next few weeks uh, if the concept of an impeachment uh, takes hold. Uh, global TV Global, I, I'm not a, a lover of TV Global, by the way. I think uh, they have proven so far that they they prostitute themselves to whoever gives them the most, uh, but they have been pushing very hard to get rid of Bolsonaro. And they're, they are they are the most powerful in in Brazil. Uh, the, you know, they can reach every corner of the country. Uh, so while others cannot. So I think yeah. that what's gonna, and they're very good. I mean, technically they're very good, except they have this political bias, which is not very helpful. So uh, I would say that they're gonna start pushing and not to make a long story, you know, very long, I'm gonna try to say that, you know, we need to have this guy impeached in order for Brazil to move on because if they don't I think we're going to be in you know uh, we're not going to go anywhere.
0: Well interestingly so moving slightly on from Brazil because I think there's a lot of political um, issues there but moving across the border to Argentina um, we're recording on April 28th and they reported today that there's there's an inverse effect that Alberto Fernandez despite everything that's going on with the credit of the country has got improved um, uh, approval rating it's a he's leapt considerably from when he came to office because of the way he's dealt with the pandemic which i think is an interesting contrast between him and bolsonaro but then they do have this underlying problem that the creditors i mean the the pan, their plans for restructuring have been widely rejected and have put them back to square one so can we talk about argentina for a second what are you seeing there do you see them coming out of this in any meaningful way and what happened why did the why did their plans get rejected
1: yeah, well, great. You, you know, it's great that you 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 commented on that because I've been positive on the guy since day one, uh, not day minus one. Um, and sure. the reason, that obviously, I didn't want him to be elected. But uh, once he got elected, I had the impression that he would have enough enough power uh, and um, enough support from people to do something good. And in in a way, I think he's a little bit like uh, AMLO, uh, López Obrador in Mexico, where people. Just thought he was going to be crazy and nuts, and a little bit like Lula in two thousand um, and two. And I and I think, yeah, he everything is great until he started to talk about uh, uh, negotiation for debt restructuring. And province of Buenos Aires has followed his tack. And I think it's in my opinion. This is just the first uh, the first move uh, in this discussion it is a ridiculous proposition basically the argentines want to pay less interest in most developed countries they want to have quite a lot of write-off but i mean they don't want to pay interest for three years um i think that nobody in his same mind would agree to it so having said that it's the first move as a you know and, and so it's likely that there's well there has already been a negative reaction from from the investor side and I won't try to predict uh, if it's gonna be easy or not but I, I would really highlight that when this is not gonna this is not where it's gonna end you know they will yeah. reach a logical point uh, and you know it'll work out.
0: With that, we, we've seen, because Argentina is one of two markets we talked about in the very first podcast we did that was under stress. The other one was Lebanon. Lebanon then defaulted after the yields reached 1,000% at one point. Has there been any developments there? Is there anything that people should be watching out for in Lebanon? And could there be any upset at all?
1: Well, you know, as in most of the world, I think all governments are focusing on dealing with coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, in Lebanon, I think it's a little bit more complex because they are – uh, buying everything, most of most of what they need, so at some point they are going to have some issues, and and so I would say in the pecking order they're they're in worse shape than Argentina, um, and I nothing has happened. They've come up with the discussions, but but I think the the, the Lebanon issue will have to be dealt with, maybe at the multilateral level. Uh, maybe some of the Middle Eastern countries are going to have to come up with a plan and get involved, uh, which probably wouldn't be uh, to Israel's liking. Uh, but I, but I think uh, I think it's a little bit different, and and it, we haven't gotten anywhere. Um, another country, you know, just to jump a little, you know, a little bit sideways. We, you know, we we talked about uh, the main countries that are bringing out problems in the AM world, right? Uh, yeah. Ecuador has done something quite interesting since since we last spoke. They've gone out to uh, investors who hold their debt and asked not to pay the interest or any repayments until I believe August, uh, just so they can, can they can deal with coronavirus. Interestingly, surprisingly, they have had a, a ridiculously crazy amount a number of uh, of cases. Uh, of coronavirus and they're you know they're having corpses pop up on the street and it's not really really nice to talk about it and i'm no, very sad course. it's very sad but there so the government's dealing with it and i think people you know as you read the papers you get the impression that people are happy with what the government is trying to do uh there have been more cases than they uh, thought they had uh and you know this this is happening i mean this this always happened it's happening here in the uk right? Um, but I, I think that they w- they've they done the right thing. They've asked for a temporary moratorium and then eventually, hopefully, they, they, they will pay back. Now, the issue is all going to oil, right? Uh, Ecuador is a big oil exporter. And because of that, they obviously don't have a lot of income. So uh, we have to understand that while there's no demand for oil in the world, Uh, It doesn't matter how many deals the Saudis and OPEC plus or the Russians make, um, we are still going to have an issue with with, uh, low oil prices. So when this starts to get better, I think Ecuador will will jump back into the, let's say, good side and things will will get better again. Um, There's another country that we haven't talked about, which I think might surprise us. You know, we hear news uh, on North Korea, right? Yeah. Um. And well, adding another element here, uh, you know, another another rogue nation, uh, there's Venezuela. And I don't know if I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I sense some interesting developments coming from Trump's side. And, you know, that's why I think, you know, every president, he does some good things and some bad things. People joke about it. But I mean, it's a question of style. Um, I think here, uh, one of the the approaches that he's been coming up with, and there might, this might be a chess move that, that a lot of people are not seeing, which is in, in, in Venezuela, the initial reaction from the U.S. government was to have sanctions on a few of the top guys. Uh, then uh, the U.S. government put uh, Maduro on a list of people who might be potentially involved in drug dealing, right? And I would not be surprised if at some point uh, the U.S. administration or maybe some Marines show up and pick Maduro up to get him into jail. You know, and and I, I know this sounds very far fetched and like sounds like a nice movie, but Rambo does exist, and. And it could be that that we at some point have something like that happening. Now, how right.
0: realistic do you think that would be, Raphael? How much do you think? Because that would be a huge international incident, surely, if the US went in, you'd have backlash from Russia. Because I know we talked previously about Russia has been supporting Venezuela, or they've been aiding them with some um, some yeah. means of getting oil out of the country. Do you think any, that would be permissible? Do you think now's the time to do it? We've still got trade war tensions. We've still got a lot of. COVID-19 is still rampant? Or do you think this is something that could happen a few years down the line?
1: Yeah, I think this is an interesting point. We might be getting to that point much faster than we thought. And because these guys cannot export a lot of oil, uh, it could be that at some point, even they capitulate and say, sorry, guys, we're out of here. Um, So I don't want to make a guess on that because that's a very it that's many standard deviations away but it could be that that turns out to be the positive outcome of this whole thing so we never know
0: moving on slightly rafael not meaning to just jump around on the topics but your personal allocation where are you at the moment what are you investing in? we talk i mean we talk largely about debt are you looking at the equity market at all
1: uh good good question well I do have some emerging debt, though not that much. I have Ecuador. I'm not going to lie about it. And they're servicing or they will be servicing soon. Uh, I've got a few things in Africa. Uh, and, and I don't think the effect on Africa has has been... Well, people have talked a little bit about it. But I think that, the again, the IMF and, and World Bank will try to deal with that. Uh, so I think the Africans will, will turn out much better than a lot of people are saying, Ex- except I'm not sure about South Africa. I think things there, I, you know, I have been negative on South Africa for years, especially since I landed there and, and saw how, how maybe apartheid has never ended. Um, and well, anyway, then we know Zimbabwe, we know how it can all go wrong, right? Yeah. Um, but so I, I haven't been focusing too much on the emerging side. Uh, I think you probably know better than this, there have been gigantic outflows from some of the emerging uh, countries. Yeah. And so I I have tried to focus on where I think uh, things will come out of the hole first. Um, and I've been looking at the most interesting market in terms of volatility, uh, because at the moment, that's, that's what a trader uh, wants to look for, value and volatility, right? Um, the VIX has come down. I mean, it's now today is at 34, uh, and that's st- starts to not getting interesting. But we we have to realize something. The S&P uh, hit a, a low, I think, at one point of 30 or 35 percent from the top, uh, and I don't want to say that the top was the the. Best reference point, but but it was an important reference point, and now we have come back at least twenty five percent from that, if not thirty. And overnight, the market went had a had a big jump. Yesterday, it felt like uh, like it was it was a lot of short covering, uh, or like there were a lot of allocations. You know, you sometimes cannot really tell. Uh, but the market was going crazy. So my conversations with people uh, in the business, uh, you know, and I, and I think. What I like is I talk to all kinds of people. I always did, you know, very, very hardcore uh, prop traders to to just the average guy who wants to make a buck, and and the former are very heavily focused on a little bit like Jeffrey Gunler, uh on the fact that that we are not out of the hole yet. We we really are in a in a in a situation in which uh, the S and P is. Flirting with a with being ten percent from the from the best it's ever been, uh, but the world economy is going th- still going through the mess. We we may have restrictions uh, lifting restrictions uh, lifting off restrictions, but we may have a second wave. We may have a lot of corporates who who cannot repay the debt and who don't get for a forgiveness. We may have a a, a wave of forced. Uh, forgiveness or moratoria. So so for the for equity markets to have recovered so much, I think is a little bit too too premature. Yeah. Uh, but that is one area of the market where you still get what we all like, which is liquidity. So if you ask me where's the first place I'd be investing when I saw the things have recovered, well obviously if I had a clear picture on what would happen with the emerging countries, obviously, I would make an allocation to some of them because there are some bonds that some countries with bonds that have just gone ridiculously low. Um, But I would also focus on looking at at U.S. equity markets um, because, as I said, you get the volatility, uh, you get the liquidity, uh, and from that, you can trade both up and down. You you know, you you may make it, obviously, let's say if we, if everything's cleaned up, we obviously will trade up. But I would say that even if we don't trade up, we'll have a lot of room, volatility-wise, to to profit. So that's where I'm spending a lot of time, and I'm also doing something uh, which I I like to do, you know. Uh, and and I have to comment it with a little sadness here, um, but but I think it's it's you know I, I've only done that once, but I I do get in touch with old colleagues, uh, old competitors. And some people, sometimes people lose track of the human element in this business. Uh, but uh, I used to have a competitor uh, when I was running funds, uh, a little over fifteen years ago, a guy called William Ledward. Yeah. Uh, and William was a fiduciary trust at the time. He moved on. He went to Franklin Templeton. He was one of the few guys I could have a very frank conversation with. He was intelligent. He thought outside the box. He was very polite. Uh, he respected your views. He told you his. Sometimes he told you that you know he didn't agree with yours. Um, but but he was one of the great competitors that that we had. And again, I don't like to do this much. And but uh, but I you know I, I I had a meeting with him earlier this year, uh, just before the whole coronavirus thing came up. And and unfortunately, I discovered later on that uh, partly you know from what you 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 put down. He wrote uh, that uh, that he he died, and and it's it's very sad, and I think it's important for us to to remember him. And I I would pr- propose a minute of silence, but I mean that let me not get ridiculous. But but I think it's important to mention that, and I think people in the in the industry should respect this these you know these these situations, and and they should be a little bit more humane and and human uh, because it's very true. sad.
0: Sorry, talked over you, but I think that is a very important and a very um, touching sentiment to end on. Thank you very much, Raphael. I think a lot of people share your sentiment. I think it's very nice um, to take the time to consider that and consider that there is more going on. This is, um, I mean, to my understanding, it wasn't related, but this is a health related issue that is driving the market. So um, understanding that there's people out there, people doing good jobs, people doing things on the front line is something that we can all take time to consider.